Welcome to the Radio Bible Course. Today we begin with Hebrews chapter 7, where the writer talks about Melchizedek. And he points out the similarities between Jesus Christ, our high priest, that is, the Christian's high priest, and this high priest of the Most High God named Melchizedek. We read about him in Genesis chapter 14. Now, Melchizedek was introduced at the end of chapter 6. It tells us that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, that meant something to the Jew that I'm afraid it doesn't mean to us because we fail to see the significance of the word forerunner and the analogy which the author here is making between Jesus Christ and Melchizedek. Now, Hebrews chapter 7 is what I see as the pivotal portion of the book of Hebrews. I say pivotal because everything hinges on the establishment of Jesus as not only a priest, but also as a superior priest to those in Judaism. He is a high and eternal priest, unlike them. For, for he is a priest for the entire world. They were limited to service on behalf of Israel. Hebrews chapter 7 begins a four-chapter essay under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to solve an apparent problem that persisted among some of those first century Jews who had believed in Christ. But we Gentiles don't really give a hoot about priests, you say. Except for some of us who came out of ritualistic churches, we neither want priests nor do we find any need for them in New Testament Christianity. Now, in which New Testament epistles do you find a mention of priests? not those written to Gentile churches. The words priest and priesthood occur only in Hebrews and in First Peter. But why shouldn't Christians be interested in priests? Because priests have value and meaning only to religious systems in which sacrifices and ceremonies are mandated, along with the priest's mediating role. Those were duties of priests. The Hebrews had that kind of a system, and the people to whom this epistle is written might well have been not only Jews, but in addition a colony of former Jewish priests, or at least priests who had been scattered around the known world, who had difficulty abandoning the importance of the priestly ministry. Now, why would that be? Because in Judaism, the priest was the mediator between God and man. By offering sacrifices, he brought men back to God. The priest was the most important man in Jewish society, greater than the prophets. A priest was special and very highly honored. Now, in Acts chapter 23, at the beginning of the chapter, we see that Paul encountered the high priest. Listen to what is said and see how greatly the priest was honored. And Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. 
And the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, quote, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Well, you see, Paul retaliated when he was slapped at the order of the high priest by calling the priest a whitewashed wall, and he didn't know that the man was the high priest. But when he did, he quickly apologized. So even he honored the high priest of Judaism. Now, unless the author of Hebrews can establish that Jesus is a priest and a better one than the sons of Aaron, there would be a danger of losing certain believing Jews from the church. Any attempt to approach God except through a divinely appointed priest is arrogance and presumption which God hates. That's true today also, and for this reason we come to God in the name of our priest, Jesus Christ. We invoke his name when we pray. We have no authority to approach the Creator apart from him. This gives special meaning to Jesus' words in the Gospel of John, where he taught his disciples, Whatever you ask the Father, in my name he'll do it. Now, to prove that Jesus is the priest for this new age and for eternity, the author turns back some 2,000 years in history to an event recorded in Genesis 14. Now, listen to the text here, beginning with verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, and has neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, first of all, we ought to talk about the pronunciation of the name of this famous old king, Melchizedek. So many people struggle with it. It is not Melchizedek, because in Hebrew, the CH sound is pronounced as a K. So it's Melchizedek. Now, the CH has some exceptions, and one of them is Rachel where it has the C-H sound. Now, this text has caused considerable speculation about the identity of Melchizedek, and there are people who believe this was an angel. Others say this was really the Son of God appearing in his pre-incarnation ministry. But that hardly can mean the Son of God, because at the end of verse 3 it says, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And the inspired text wouldn't have said that if he were the Son of God, 
So I think we have to conclude that this was a man, a human, he was a king, and he had a city. And the city, of course, is Salem. Now, if that sounds similar to Jerusalem, then you have the right clue here, because that's a former name of the city of Jerusalem. The Amarna tablets discovered in Egypt in 1886 are letters written about events in Palestine in the 14th century B.C., and they refer to the city of Jerusalem, which later became Jerusalem. Is there any biblical evidence for Salem being Jerusalem? Yes, there is. Listen to Psalm 76. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His tent is in Salem his dwelling place in Zion. Salem is synonymous with Zion. And what does the Bible say about Zion? In Psalm 132, listen to it, beginning with verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired a place for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head will be resplendent. This is God's headquarters for the coming kingdom on the earth where Jesus will rule. Now, from that evidence, I don't think there can be any doubt but that Melchizedek is a real person, but he is not the Son of God in pre-incarnate form. He was the king of Salem, and Salem was a real city, so we take that literally. We ought to take Melchizedek as the king, literally also. Now, the story about Melchizedek is recorded in Genesis 14, where we read about a battle of five kings against four. The four apparently were from the area known as Mesopotamia then, which is the present country of Iraq, and they defeated the five, some of whom were from Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it tells us that the battle took place in the Valley of Siddim, which is near the Dead Sea. And as you may know, Abraham's nephew, Lot, was taken captive, and when Abraham learned about it, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318 of them, and pursued them way up into northern Israel to the city of Dan. Well, there he defeated those kings, rescued his nephew Lot, and brought back a great amount of loot. Well, when he got back, it tells us in verse 17 of Genesis 14, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedolaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. Now, where is the valley or vale of Sheva? Josephus, that New Testament historian, tells us that it was about a quarter of a mile from Jerusalem. Now, that's another clue. 
that Salem is Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him, that is, Abraham. And he said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that it was Abraham who paid the tithes. And of course that's what the text tells us. He paid a tenth of all the loot to this man named Melchizedek, who is the priest of the Most High God. As we read the story in Genesis, we see that Abraham was blessed before Melchizedek blessed him. He traveled some 150 miles to battle those kings and to win back his nephew Lot. And he defeated them. That surely was God's blessing on him. But when he returned, Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, blessed him. Now we want to see the associations which the writer of Hebrews makes between Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. Now this is good instruction for us because we're going to see Christ after a new order of priests. Now be here tomorrow and I hope you'll join me. The Radio Bible Course is an independent Bible teaching ministry. It's supported by friends and listeners. Till tomorrow, this is Nick Calaboda reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.